Welcome to the latest Experts in the Field podcast from Foot Anstey's Farms, Estates and Rural Land Team. With guest speakers and in-house experts, we'll provide insights into rural developments and current affairs. I'm Edward Benoit and I'm Head of the Rural Team at Foot Anstey. We're pleased to bring you this episode in which we'll again be considering the challenge of balancing the environment and food production and the opportunities in changing landscape for landowners. There's a huge opportunity for Joining us today is my colleague, Rose Westwood. Like me, Rose specialises in acting for rural landowners, including many national charities as part of our charities group. Also joining us today is Hannah Masray, a partner at Safri Champness. Hannah is a member of the firm's agribusiness group and advises directors, owners and trustees on audit, accounting and tax matters. She also provides guidance and recommendations on strategic issues to help her clients' business plans. Hannah, really pleased you could join us today and thank you very much for your, for your time. Well, thanks for inviting me to join. It's a pleasure. Good. We covered these topics um, in one of our earlier podcasts with uh, Alex Stevens of the NFU, and we thought it would be really good to get your take on the issues and challenges facing rural landowners. As obviously all of us here uh, understand, is we're about to embark on a real period of unprecedented change. It very much is a, a generational change in the agricultural sector. There's a huge amount of change being driven from uh, Brexit and the end of the basic payment scheme. But also lots of other issues which have really come to the fore in recent years. So obviously climate change is driving a lot of the policy initiatives we're getting from government at the moment for the government's targets of reaching net zero. Pledges from the government in the UK and obviously in, obviously in Scotland, that 30% of the land will be managed for nature by 2030. Issues around biodiversity net gains, something Rose will comment on a bit, uh, bit later on. Conservation covenants, there's a huge range of issues and huge amount for uh, landowners to to grapple with and the next few years is obviously going to be a, a big period of transition for for rural landowners question for you hannah with the nature of the work you do what are the key policies and issues that you think are really going to drive change for your clients that you're hearing from the government i think the first one you've already touched on is the subsidy change so obviously from actually from 2021 the reduction basic payment scheme started and then over the next course of the next four years it's actually going down to less than 70 percent of what it would have been in in 2020 I think if you earn over 150,000 from basic payment scheme income and I think that farmers a lot of people think that there's never a poor farmer when actually I've seen so many sets of farm accounts and those farms would not be even near break-even point if we didn't have that basic payment scheme income. So I think the key change from government and from leaving the EU is really going to be the impact on farming from those subsidies and what are the farmers doing to actually replace that basic payment scheme income. And that may be from various different methods and they all touch upon the points that you've covered with COP26, where we've got the, the plan to go to net zero by 20, or it's not by 2030, but the reduction is significant over the next 20 years. And the impact of farming at the moment, you've got methane from cattle. And on it's not just cattle, you've got methane from deer. And there are farmers that are going from cattle to deer just because the methane production is actually significantly less. And so all of those are changing. And then the further government policies that may impact, and this is something that we as, as accountants are always looking at, are the tax implications. So over the last couple of years, there's been reviews of capital gains tax. There's been reviews of inheritance tax. And 
who knows what's going to happen to those going forwards and at the moment for farmers for landowners you get the benefit of agricultural property relief and over the course of the next 10 years who knows what's going to happen with that agricultural property relief is a key tax planning relief that we utilize for our clients and without that agricultural property relief we need to be looking at what we can do going forwards because if we pay, we're paying 40% tax on death are those farmers going to be able to retain the land going forwards and it's part of our heritage effectively farming in the UK has always been a big thing for us yeah absolutely I mean that, there's, a, there's a lot of investors in rural land over over the years who've done it largely or maybe only because of uh, looking for the agricultural property relief I mean, there's many stories that people have heard in the press of, of it, wealthy individuals doing that isn't it because exactly. part of their tax planning understandably mm-hmm. so Exactly. But I'm thinking more of those smaller farms that it's been in the families for years and years and years, and they don't have the cash in the bank to pay the inheritance Mm. tax or sometimes to even pay their um, annual tax. So corporation tax or income tax, it's difficult for a number of farmers. And I think that those individuals that are smaller farms will actually... um, not necessarily suffer in the future, but I think they're the ones that will see the most significant change going forwards. Do you think, um, Hannah, there'll be a real impact as well around the, you know, talking about inheritance tax. So um, my understanding is that you obviously get that agricultural property relief if you're using the property for agriculture, traditionally providing food, food production. But if you're going down that route of trying to replace your BPS payments with production of environmental goods through maybe the new ELM schemes that are available to farmers or through other schemes that we're seeing coming in, like the biodiversity net gain that Edward touched upon. Um, and we you know, we can talk about that in a bit more detail, but essentially that's driven by development. And is it a policy from the government to try and increase biodiversity by making it a requirement for developers to actually increase the biodiversity by 10%? Those kind of schemes, if, if you're looking to take advantage of them as a, as a different source of income, does that mean you're going to potentially fall outside of that agricultural property relief for inheritance tax? Because you're, you're not using your land maybe for agriculture in, in the technical sense. Yeah, and I think that's a key discussion point in the industry at the moment. And I was actually in another office earlier this week and we were discussing this. And at the moment, we've got clients that are asking us. And to be honest, nobody knows because you could argue that if you're selling carbon credits and then you're and you're selling biodiversity net gains on the same land. So the, the stacking of that, are you trading in carbon credits? Is that class as a trade and therefore business property relief or you could argue that it's if it's capital then that's not a trade but nobody knows at the moment how it's going to go and I think that it's something that it's one to watch within the industry and I know that we've got our team on it reviewing it and I'm sure in the next year well even before that really we need to be kind of looking at that further and I'm sure we're going to be releasing some documentation and probably be providing some maybe not podcasts but webinars on on the tax implications because I think it's going to be significant and there will be changes. I think one of the reoccurring themes we've had in this this podcast series we've talked about these uh, these sort of topics it's just a huge amount of learning that we and those in the agricultural sector have to do over the next few years because it's going to be such a rapidly changing landscape for everyone 
in operating and, and the commercial basis in which they're operating. There's an awful lot of pe- things for people to get their heads around. And really, I'd encourage everyone to take opportunity, like the webinars you mentioned, to really learn as much and get the different viewpoints of the land agents and accountants and, you know, dare I say it, lawyers as well, to really get that, to get the advice they need, because no one's got all the answers, I think it's fair to say. Definitely. I think with if you're entering into any transaction or you're changing the way that your farm is running, I would say seek advice because who knows what implications it could have. And you mentioned, Rose, about site being used for the purpose of agriculture or land being used for the purpose of agriculture. When we look or when we take on a new client or even when we're working with existing clients and we're just having conversations with them, we're always looking for the easy wins where you could potentially get APR on something like an unused barn. If that's dilapidated and you're not using it, you wouldn't be getting APR on that barn whereas if you put some farm equipment in there even if it's just some hay bales or an old tractor or something that's used for the purpose of agriculture so you benefit from APR and it's always I think the professionals it's useful to always just get a view and I'm sure we'll be discussing that later on in the conversation but do seek advice highly recommend it yeah I think I think the other thing is that a lot of farmers and, and, you know, a lot of rural professionals are seeing all these policies and thinking, well, this is this is happening in the next five years or they're looking up going towards 2030. But actually, a lot of this is happening now, um, you know, with the biodiversity net gain requirements, they're going to be there from 2023. And it's you know it's already impacting like you said the bps is already reducing so it is something to be thinking about now and and seeking advice on now but yeah if we if we uh, go to the next question hannah i just wanted to get your view on how you think land use will be impacted going forward we've kind of touched upon that but do you think there'll be a, a shift in in land use for your clients i think there's bound to be a shift in land use for all clients and i'd say at the moment i've not necessarily seen that shift happen but I think that clients and we're not even just our clients everybody you mentioned then not they're thinking about this is changing in the next five years or maybe even if it's two years but actually it's planning for the future and we've obviously got the change in the subsidies so now we've got public money for public goods and who knows what that's going to mean I know that we've been looking at rewilding biodiversity net gains carbon credits And it is going to be changing from, at the moment, we've got arable and livestock use for land, but what's going to happen with the rewilding and with biodiversity net gains? And I think that the land use has to change. You can't, it can't be the same as what it was before, because otherwise farmers aren't going to be benefiting from those subsidies and they are required. But I guess it's with any change in business venture and use within the land, it's maybe looking at forecasting and saying if I don't use that land for arable what can it bring me in from subsidies and through rewilding what can it bring me in from producing crop on the land is it going to be more or less than the arable it's everything I think it just needs huge considerations and it's this is not an easy decision to make I think for all farmers I think Hannah you picked up a really important point about how long term these thinking has got to be on these because you know if you if for example um you know down this part of the world where i am at the moment obviously we do lots of um see lots and lots of solar sites and um every so often you see a real spurting growth of them again 
but you put those those schemes last long periods of time. And, and similarly, if you're talking about rewilding, that's that's not something which will you know reach fruition the next year. That takes a long period of time to to do, and you don't want to be chopping and changing. So it's very much changing your business model, very much thinking about the impact as to whether that works financially and, and is right for the farm and the annual family business. But it takes a lot of planning to uh, do that. Just in terms of your clients, Hannah, I was wondering if you can give an example, examples of clients who really already, you know, perhaps are really proactive in, in meeting the challenges that are ahead of, you think of any clients who really addressed these issues over the last couple of years? Do you Sorry. know what? None of my yeah. clients that I'm currently acting for, I would say necessarily have, but we um, actually visited, so there were six of us from Safaris, visited an estate near Bristol recently, and actually within the last couple of days, and I was shocked at what they've done, and just talking to people within that particular estate, and what they are doing, they're looking at biodiversity net gains, they're looking at carbon credits, and what they can do, and it's all about taking the investment that they've done back to nature, and really looking at the environmental side, and it's not necessarily about the trade, it's about what they can do for the environment, and I think that they have been extremely proactive and probably one of the most proactive clients that I've seen. So yeah, there, there are, I think they are out there, but it's very rare, I would say, at this point in time, from what my experience anyway. I don't know about you, have you seen many clients? Uh, we know we have, we, we've seen, we've definitely seen uh, some, sort of, you know, some issues come up uh, arising out of some of the changes we're talking about. So rewilding, for example, uh, about 12 months ago now, we had a a group of landowners seek our advice in relation to some issues they were having with a, a neighbouring landowner who was going down that route. So, um, mm-hmm. and that was causing issues on on their land, their fa- which they were still you know, traditionally farming, as it were. So, you, you do start to see uh, those sorts of tensions at the moment. Most of the questions really do still directly come out of renewables projects. I think it's fair to say, um, yeah. but you're definitely seeing uh, and clients asking more questions around around these issues uh, and for example things like carbon trading and uh, uh, those concepts definitely people are becoming alert to those and, uh, and and taking advice and looking to work with other other landowners to maximize the opportunities there one of the issues that rose and i've talked about um uh, before and we we wonder what the, what will happen in this market is the impact on agricultural tenancies and the availability um of land on the market for tenants it's 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 often an area it's very difficult for incomers to the industry to to get their foot on the ladder and i do wonder whether or not these changes are going to make make that in fact harder in some ways because we have a period of great change like this will landowners look more traditionally to shorter term letting arrangements for example whilst they assess the impact and opportunities for them which to some extent would be obviously understandable uh, rose you were going to comment i think a, a little bit around the agriculture act and some of the which came in obviously 2020 and some of the changes made there yeah yeah thanks edward i think as well it's important to to say that 30 percent of all land farmed in britain is by tenant farmers so here we're talking about one third of agricultural land in our country so it's it's a lot a lot of land so is it a very important issue you know how are tenants going to take advantage of these environmental schemes and that uh, there have been changes through the agriculture act 2020 so now if you've got an old style aha tenancy under the 1986 act you can refer to um, arbitration if your landlord will not consent to amend the tenancy 
And then the reason that that's a positive change is the definition of agriculture under that act is, is quite narrow. It's very traditional. It's looking just at mainly food production. So if a tenant wanted to take advantage of, of one of the environmental schemes to replace subsidy payments, for example, then that could fall outside of the user clause because it's not strictly agricultural use. So um, you could envisage problems if a tenant goes to their landlord and says, well, I, I want to change the use of the land. I want to take advantage of these schemes. And if the landlord just refused, then, um, you know, what's what's uh, the um, how does the tenant solve that problem? So that can be referred to arbitration now under the Act um, and uh, that that allows the tenant uh, a way um, to perhaps get around their landlord if, if they're not consenting. And so that that's one thing that's useful. Just going to say, I think the point you made, Rose, around 30 percent of agriculture of of land farmed is, is by tenant farmers. It's really important that this is a sector which does thrive and, and takes the opportunity that to, to fulfil the policy objectives that, that the government have set out. And you can sort of always see the impact this is having. A matter that came across my desk this morning where there's discussions between existing landlord and tenant and they're trying to clarify their arrangements moving forward and look at new agreements. But part of that, the, the, even in the discussion phase, landlords making it very clear they don't want the tenant signing up to anything to stewardship agreements, etc., until they until they've clarified their arrangements. The landlord really is trying to take control of that, I think it's fair to say. How one of the one of the interesting areas that we've again come across is a lot of these opportunities uh, for landowners may involve them grouping together in some form, working you know, informally or more formally together, forming cooperatives, you know, for example, companies really working together in a way that they've maybe not done traditionally or in a formal sense at least. Have you come across clients? discussing that and considering that yet or is it something that you think people are alert to i haven't seen anyone or i've not come across it yet but i do think people are alert to it and i think that the way in which farming is going it will be going more towards the cooperative farming because when you think of these small farms are they going to be able to benefit and not even benefit are they going to be able to be profit making going forwards if they're just farming the small area of the land that they are farming so it goes back to what I was talking about at the start about the financial statements and can they even break even without that subsidy so I think that the pooling arrangements and cooperatives will work quite well because it effectively it will mean farmers can benefit from economies of scale from maybe even asset sharing and I know that that may be difficult yeah. when it comes to like harvesting um they all want to use a combined harvester <laughs> yeah when it's dry um, on the same day yep. exactly so <laughs> with the British weather who knows yep. what's going to happen but combine harvesters are extremely expensive and can one farmer purchase one when you could have one within an area of land that they can all share effectively and then also just looking at the income side of things it may be that they enter into contracts with say for example if they're in dairy and they're they've got a um pooling dairy contract can they actually try and get a higher price if they're all working together into one contract rather than if they're one small farmer producing a smaller quantity of milk or smaller volume of milk each year um, and i think so i think that it will be changing and but i don't think from my experience of talking to clients, I've not seen that actually come to fruition yet. But one thing I would say is that if 
any of your clients or if you're considering going into a pooling arrangement or a cooperative, make sure you seek advice because you're going to need advice on the legal side on making sure that we've got documentation in place um, for that. And also on the finance side, we're going to want to make sure that the, there, there aren't any unforeseen tax implications um, and on the accounts as well. So it's just making sure that everything's been considered before you enter into any new agreement, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I think particularly when, you've, um, uh, when you have a, such a new and developing sort of area as this, it is really important to make things, make sure things are documented properly. Um, you know, as Rose and I know from uh, the work we do, very often problems arise when a good idea is not documented properly and everyone is literally then not on the same page as to how that's going to be implemented and that can live, give rise to lots of disputes and issues and I think it's particularly important here where you may be dealing with you know, intermediaries, um, you know, uh, brokers effectively, uh, trying to uh, work with groups of farmers uh, on these sorts of schemes. Um, it's really important to make sure that those things are all documented. Mm-hmm. Hello, really uh, really helpful to talk to you today. Can I ask you for what would be your three top tips for a landowner or farmer planning for the future and trying to make the best of this uh, real period of change we're embarking on? So firstly, I'd say don't put it off. You need to be thinking about it. You need to be discussing it with colleagues, friends, your neighbouring farmer. It, just discuss what the implications will be for you and what where you think you could potentially adapt how your farm works. And then that kind of moves on to the second point, I'd say, research and keep abreast of the changes because you never know when something new may pop up I think just before Christmas maybe a month or so before Christmas one of the new grant schemes was actually set up and applications weren't open for very long because they actually closed early January and it was for farm equipment and you could get a grant for 25,000 so I think it's important to keep abreast of changes and if you're unsure of those changes and looking on the internet and looking at those grants that are available maybe it comes back to the first point of discuss it with other people around you because it may be that they've actually already applied for one of those grants so yeah research discuss and then seek advice because you never know when something is going to change and well and when you are going through that process of change it's important that everything is set up in the correct way whether legal tax and there are probably various other things that you need to be thinking about which i'm sure a consultant or land agent can help with and there are significant changes up front and yeah we've only touched on a few of them very lightly today so yeah always seek advice thank you uh, thank you Anna. Obviously, thank you to rose as well really lots of interesting points to come out of this discussion and all these points are going to be a real focus for all of us working in this area over the coming years. You can get further information on our website and please do click on the link for Hannah's details as well. For those of you interested in hearing more on this topic, please do also listen to our episode with Alex Stevens of the NFU, where we cover very similar issues and get his take from the NFU's perspective as well. Thank you all again for listening and please do subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next Foot Anstey Experts in the Field podcast. Join us next time for more insights on important rural and agricultural issues. Find out more about our podcast series at footanstey.com.